Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you all doing? Well, I thought I was doing well, but my child has informed me that I'm not cool. And get this, I will never be cool. I'm sorry, but I really thought between you and me, I really thought I was cool. I thought if I got the right trainers and learnt the the new cool songs, I could be down with the crowd. But it turns out, it turns out I'm not. Oh, okay, this is a 14-year-old child, but I really hoped, I hope that deep down he held respect for me and, dare I say, even admiration, even though on the surface he shows how embarrassed he is about me. But but no, nothing is there. <laughs> there is nothing there at all. And so I, today you find me quite sad and subdued. I don't know why I strive to be cool, but maybe it's just about staying young. Anyway, there we go. I'm not cool, but the books I've got to talk to you about today are definitely. So first of all, we've got Days Like These by Brian Bilston. And Brian is coming on the podcast. Very exciting. Then I also talked to you about The Satsuma Complex by Bob Mortimer. I listened to that on audiobook and I've got things to say. Then Maureen Fry and the Angel of the North by Rachel Joyce. Rock, Paper, Scissors by Alice Feeney. And lastly, Affinity by Sarah Waters. So what's the agenda for today? We need to have an agenda, don't we? Well, Obviously, Brian is coming on and that's very exciting. So my intention is to whip through the other books as quickly as possible and then get on to days like these and talk to Brian. And then at the very end, if I remember, I need to read out an Apple podcast review that has really touched me. And uh, I am very grateful for the person, Florentine Gold. What a name, Florentine Gold, who's left me a review. Thank you so much for that. So what book do we start with? We're going to start with The Satsuma Complex by Bob Mortimer. I didn't know anything about this. I just thought, Oh, I don't know. I just get I just get a feeling that I'm going to enjoy this. So I'm reading you the blurb now. And this is the first time I'm, I'm reading it. So here we go. Gary Thorne goes for a pint with a work acquaintance called Brendan. When Brendan leaves early, Gary meets a girl in the pub. He doesn't catch her name, but falls for her anyway. When she suddenly disappears without saying goodbye, all Gary has to remember her by is the book she was reading. 
the Satsuma complex. But when Brendan goes missing, Gary needs to track down the girl he now calls Satsuma to get some answers. And so begins Gary's quest through the estates and pie shops of South London to finally bring some love and excitement into his unremarkable life. Shall we do first sentence? I think we should. My name is Gary. I'm a 30-year-old legal assistant with a firm of solicitors in London. I live by myself in a one-bedroom flat on a sprawling 1960s local authority housing estate in Peckham. My flat is just a five-minute walk from work, a state of affairs that pleases me on those occasions that I wish it to. I'm on the short side of average height and come equipped with a large nose that borders on the comical if I wear sunglasses. It's narrated, the audiobook is narrated by Bob Mortimer and Sally Phillips. It's the best audiobook I've heard this year, without a doubt. It's not a very long one. Obviously, it's long enough to have a full and complex story in there, but it's not overly long. It's just brilliant. It's got this sort of who done it, why done it, all of this sort of thing that you're wondering how it's going to unravel. But it's also got comedy in there. And the comedy is made even more joyous by Bob Mortimer narrating it. His voice is just, you know, there can't be anybody else narrating that book. It was perfect. I thought it was incredible. Yes, it's my top audio, the book of the year. And if I get my act together, next week you'll have my top 10 books of the year. And it may be on there. It may not. Let's not rule it out. But we don't want to jump the gun just yet. Uh, jump the gun. Is that an actual phrase or is my brain just just made that up? Anyway, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Satsuma Complex, Bob Mortimer. Get it. You'll love it. Excellent. The next book I'm going to talk to you about is Maureen Fry and the Angel of the North by Rachel Joyce. Now, I got this book and I remember reading, it follows on, there's the, oh, now I should know this. <laughs> yes, there's the book, The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry. I have read that one. And then there's the love song of Miss Queenie Hennessy, which sort of follows on. And I hadn't read that. And so this one, Maureen Fry, is is the sort of the third in the, in the series. And to begin with, I was like, no, I'm not going to read Maureen Fry. I'm going to go back and read Harold Fry. Then I'm going to read Queenie Hennessy. And then I'll read Maureen Fry. And then I had to have a word with myself and thought, Philippa, when are you going to get time and chance to go back and reread the first one, read the second one? No, just jump in. Either it works or it doesn't. But no author that I know of is going to make the reading of a book in the series so impossible that you can't get the joyful gist and enjoy it. And Rachel Joyce has delivered. This is a short book. It is 127 pages long. I read it on a day I was not feeling my best. Ill children, ill things, just, you know, and it was it was joyful. It was like, I don't know, a Mars bar, an ice cream Mars bar that you've had in the freezer and has just melted, thawed enough to make it absolutely perfect. It was a comfort and a delight. I really enjoyed it. It's a gentle story. Yes, it feeds on from the first two books, but my enjoyment of it was not diluted in any way that I couldn't remember what happened in the first book and hadn't read the second book. I just thought it was delightful. And if you're looking for something to buy someone for Christmas, that is just a nice, easy read, wholesome, it's like a hot water bottle of a book, then 
I would say that's definitely one. So there we go. The next one, Rock, Paper, Scissors. Now, I reviewed another of Alice Fina's books recently, Daisy Darker, and that was the one that I said you needed a neck brace on before you read that because the twist in that book was exceptional. And that made me think I'm going to have to read some more of Alice's book. So out came Rock, Paper, Scissors. In fact, I found I'd already got it and it was just sitting there waiting to be read. So let's do the blurb. Oh, by the way, I know I didn't do the blurb for Maureen Fry. That's because there wasn't any on my book. Uh, it didn't need a blurb. It's just gentle. Yes, there are some serious themes and some beautiful illustrations, I should say. But anyway, let's get on to the blurb for Rock, Paper, Scissors. Adam and Amelia are spending the weekend in the Scottish Highlands. The remote location is perfect for what they have planned. But when their romantic trip takes a dark turn, they both start to wonder... Can they trust the one they're with? Because every couple tells little white lies. Only for Adam and Amelia, the truth is far more dangerous. We should do first sentence, I think. OK, Amelia, February 2020. My husband doesn't recognise my face. I feel him staring at me as I drive and wonder what he sees. Nobody else looks familiar to him either. But it is still strange to think that the man I married wouldn't be able to pick me out in a police lineup. Now, I would suggest if you've got Rock, Paper, Scissors and Daisy Darker to read, read Rock, Paper, Scissors first because it's really good. It doesn't quite have the, the twist that Daisy Darker has, but it's re it is really, really good. And I was reading it and I was just thinking, well, how is this going to work out? How is this going to end? I was intrigued throughout and <laughs> then something happened in the book and I was like, what? And I almost want to go and reread it to to understand and see how all the evidence was there and I missed it. I thought it was really good. It wasn't what I expected. And I think I had had this book on the pile to read and hadn't read it because I was just thinking, oh, gone away, remote location. Here we go again. Same old. And it wasn't same old at all. It was glorious in its originality. It just kept me guessing. I thought it was great, really good. And it says it's soon to be a Netflix series. So if you like to read the book before you see it, then get in quickly. So that was Rock, Paper, Scissors by Alice Feeney. Now, before we come on to Brian's book, the last other book I'm going to talk to you about is Affinity by Sarah Waters. I always want to pronounce it Watters. I don't know why that's that's my fault. But anyway, here we go. Let's do the blur before I tell you why I read this and what I thought. From the dark heart of a Victorian prison, disgraced spiritualist Selina Dawes weaves an enigmatic spell. Is she a fraud or a prodigy? By the time it all begins to matter, you'll find yourself desperately wanting to believe in magic. Let's do first sentence. The first sentence is... Okay. 3rd of August, 1873. I was never so frightened as I am now. They have left me sitting in the dark, with only the light from the window to write by. They have put me in my own room. They have locked the door on me. They wanted Ruth to do it, but she would not. She said, what? Do you want me to lock up my own mistress, who has done nothing? In the end, the doctor took the key from her and locked the door himself, then made her leave me. Now, I love Sarah's books. Um, I've always enjoyed them. And this was for a book club I'm part of. Lauren and the Books has her Patreon book club. 
and it was her birthday month and she loves Sarah's books as well. So she said to celebrate her birthday, let's read one of her books. And this was the one that won the vote. It is fair to say, and I'm not on my own in saying this, that the book was a bit slower than some of Sarah's other books. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. It just depends what you're wanting. I first got it as an audio book and it didn't... I wasn't caught up enough. I had to get the book and actually read it. I enjoyed reading it, even though it was quite sort of slow paced and sinister because it's building it up. And Sarah always delivers twists. So I was like, how is this going to work out? How is this going to happen? And I think the one thing I would say is that because I was it took so long to read it, and it was so slow paced that the delivery at the end, was I disappointed with it? No, I can't be disappointed with one of Sarah's books. But it wasn't the, oh my goodness, you know, I never saw that coming. It was more of a gentle reward, if that makes sense. And there were still the, oh my goodness, so what did that mean? Go, I had to go back. Oh my goodness, they were those revelations. So it, it was a, it was an enjoyable book, but it just depends what you're looking for. If you're wanting something that you really need to spend time with and it builds up the atmosphere, then then go for it. It's a, it's slightly different to some of her other books. But yes, nothing wrong with it. Just depends on what mood you're in. But now let's come to Days Like These by Brian Bilston. I have admired Brian for, for uh, quite a while because... His poems, you'll have come across you you'll have come across his poems rather than him, if that makes sense. Because he's elusive. I I tried to find photos of him. That sounds like I'm stalking him. I'm not, but do you know what I mean? Just to get the background on someone. And there were, there was nothing that I could see. And just like, who is this person? But you know his poems. You see them written at train stations you see them on twitter i've seen people perform them and so his poems are so well known and yet he isn't which just intrigued me and then i heard that he'd got a new book out called and it's called days like these so if you're somebody you know me i love books that have something for every day of the year I just I just love them. They're great presents for other people. They get they're great presents for yourself. And this one I really love because it's got yes, it's got every day of the year and it's got a poem. But often it's well, I think with everything, it's got an, an explanation. So, for example, 11th of January, there's something about a lottery, um, about the first lottery that took place. So there's the explanation of that. And then there's a poem called Odds. It's the just. It's just a great book, and uh, if you're a friend of mine and you're listening to this, guess guess what you're getting for Christmas? You, you're going to get a copy of this. I just I just think it's accessible. You forget poem. Forget that I'm saying the word poem because it might be that you thought you hated poetry because of the certain type of poems and poets that you came across at school. Don't let that put you off. This is accessible, relatable. They're just words. They're not there to make you feel inferior, that you don't understand. They are just so relatable and often with such humour. They're just great. And the very exciting thing, I just can't believe I'm saying this, but um, Brian's told me that 
this is the first ever podcast he's done, that he's been offered other podcasts and hasn't taken them up. And he's taken up this one, which is how exciting is that? If I could clap my hands and not completely damage my microphone, I would be, and your ears, I would be clapping my hands with glee. You know, talk about Christmas presents. That's uh, the best Christmas present for me. So without further ado, let's talk to Brian Bilston now. So it is my absolute pleasure to have Brian Bilston on the podcast today. Brian, you are very welcome here. Thank you. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Philip. Well, my goodness, until I was preparing for our chat, I didn't know that I didn't know you because you are so well known, your name and your poems. And yet, uh, and I'd got a, an idea in my mind of who you were, but I, I, I realised I don't actually know the man behind the name Brian Bilston. So yes, you are this. Are you like James Bond? Are you some secret person that we <laughs> <laughs> that we all come to to know, but we don't know who that person really is? You're a man of mystery. Well, I, I'm I'm very unlike I'm very unlike James Bond to be to be honest. But I do I do kind of occupy a slightly kind of shadowy presence on the uh, on social media yes and and tend to tend to keep a low profile if i if i possibly can i mean you're described as the banksy of poetry which i think is great but how how does that sit with you are you comfortable with that title i'm a a fan of banksy so that's it's very flattering um uh, and i also get sometimes called the poet laureate of twitter which is also a slightly you know maybe that's slightly more kind of problematic in some ways um, but yeah, I, I, because it, it had its kind of roots in the, in my origins of joining social media, of just kind of joining under a pseudonym and, um, and, and generally not putting myself to the forefront. And I've kind of grown to like it in many ways because it means that I can, you know, I can operate behind the scenes and I don't, uh, it stops me from getting mobbed when I go out into the streets, of course, which is always very handy, you know, as you know, most... <laughs> Most most poets will attest to. Um, so yeah, I yeah I I like that, and I'm kind of keen to keep my anonymity. But I, I do get out, out and about more and doing events these days, so it's become increasingly hard to, to to do that. So do your friends, family, colleagues know who you are? Do you reveal yourself sometimes? Well, most of them know these days, but for. For a number of years, I did keep it quite secret, even to people quite close to me, to be honest. And um, it was just something I was amusing myself with in my in my spare time. And I was also I, I used to have a kind of proper job before doing all this uh, poetry malarkey, and so it was quite helpful for me to write under a under a pseudonym. I mean, largely so people couldn't couldn't see that I was spending all this time on Twitter and, <laughs> and Facebook instead of actually doing some some proper work. <laughs> so what job were you doing? This is interesting. What was what was your role? I used to work in an office and uh, actually within within publishing itself, within academic publishing. And um, yes, yeah, so, so I would I would kind of um, I'd, I'd kind of walk to work and I'd think of poems on my way in and um, send them out on my phone when I got into work. And then in my lunch hours, I'd, I'd be writing and in long, dull meetings, I'd be jotting down phrases that I thought, well, that could be good in a poem. <laughs> and so I was kind of doing it, yeah, I was sort of doing it unbeknownst to, 
to pretty much everyone around me. So the the more boring a meeting, the happier you were because it gave you the opportunity <laughs> and the and, and the information. But yes, well, quite quite a few of those early poems they were they were sort of based in the in an office, and I would, I would end up writing poems in sort of Excel spreadsheets and uh, as kind of PowerPoint presentations and all sorts. So I think I probably derived quite quite a lot of inspiration from my surroundings at the time (laughs) so the minute someone says we got to think out of the box guys you're like yes come on let's have this (laughs) this is a poem in the making yeah Um, so let's go back well let's not go back to level one let's go back to ground floor how how did this all get started what was the moment that this all began well well i joined i joined twitter um and that was largely that was largely because people at work were talking about social media and they were saying things like, we really need to uh, improve our reach on Twitter and Instagram. And I didn't, I didn't have any of those kind of accounts, not even personally. So I thought I'd join to see what on earth they were talking about. And um, uh, I, I was probably on Twitter for about a year or so before I actually even wrote any poems or shared any poems on there. I was just sort of loitering and lurking, like a lot of people do, and then I and then I ended up writing um, a poem. Actually, I'm not even sure it is a poem, but I wrote, I wrote some words with some some strategically placed line breaks <laughs> uh, within it and sent it out. Uh, it's called "You Took the Last Bus Home," and I remember I was actually at a poetry reading with Caroline Duffy. went to went to hear her read some of her poems, and I came out of the, came out of that and found that my tweet had been retweeted, you know, a, a couple of hundred times. And, you know, for me, that was the equivalent of going viral. Mm. And um, so I, so I, you know, I think that gave me some confidence to, to kind of write more poems on Twitter, to share them. I had been writing for, you know, a number of years before then, but I'd never, I'd never shared anything that I'd done before. And so had you set up that Twitter account originally as Brian Bilston, or was that something that you changed over time? Yeah, no, I, no, I, I set it up as uh, as Brian. Um, this this sort of pseudonym that I that I had um, that I've been using for several years. I, I used to use it to write kind of spoof football match reports, and Brian Bilston was the name that I chose because it seemed like um, a suitable name for a, a local sports correspondent on a on a kind of regional newspaper. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll join using that. Then nobody, nobody really will know that I'm on there. Uh, and then, uh, slightly unfortunately, perhaps the name has stuck. So I now, I now spend most of my day as Brian. <laughs> so have have Marvel contacted you about making you into a superhero? <laughs> <laughs> Strangely not. No, oh, oh, no. I don't that... know why. Like, sort, sort of poem man, poetry man. <laughs> Yes. No. <laughs> Do not fear, Poetry Man is here. <laughs> what surprised you most at, at how it just took off? Um, well, I think more than anything, just just that the things that I would that I was writing were resonated with other people. That you know that they shared my sense of humour. Um, that the topics that I thought were that were kind of all around me that were that, that other people could could kind of see those themes in their lives. And I mean, maybe in some ways it wasn't, it wasn't that surprising because I was, particularly in the early days, I was writing a lot about uh, things like, you know, missing the morning bin collection, you know, that sort of, 
you know, very <laughs> profound topics such as that. Um, so maybe it's not surprising that, that resonated. But I was I was very surprised that it took off in the way that it did. Not least because you know I hadn't I hadn't sought any of any of this at all. I was it was simply for my own amusement. <laughs> and you mentioned humour. I love how you use humour in your poems a lot of the time, not all of the time, but is humour a way of sort of coping with what's going on in the world and making it more accessible? Uh, yeah, I, yeah it, is, it is for me at least. And um, I always, well, I don't always have humour in my poems, but I do try and enjoy that because I think when I don't, it's it sometimes can seem like it's somebody else writing. It's almost as if I'm trying to write like somebody else and it doesn't, doesn't quite sit sit well with me so even when I write about um difficult challenging topics if there is a way to not necessarily kind of add levity as such but to to show some kind of sense of of humor to me that kind of that kind of brings that topic to the fore a lot more and it, it, it it's it's my own kind of real response to uh you know to, to the thing that I'm writing about I'm interested because there are there's an increase, it seems to me, in the number of verse novels these days. And I could really see you doing that as like a Nick Hornby verse novel. <laughs> I don't know. Well, is that something that you've ever considered doing? Not a verse novel as such. I did uh, a, a few years ago, two, three years ago, I, I did have a book out called Diary of a Somebody, which is... Um, in some ways, it was kind of inspired by Adrian Mole, who I who I kind of loved as a as a teenager, and you know that, that's a diary format. But it's uh, interwoven within that are probably about hundred or so poems, you know, because it's a story of a of a of a kind of uh, a disappointing poet uh, who has a kind of monthly poetry club. And who tries to write a poem for every day of the year and and kind of fails by about the second of yeah. of January, and um, but he does manage to kind of write these poems. He has a kind of poetry rival. So so I yeah I have kind of written a novel. Though, although that seems uh, you know, in in kind of in theory, kind of writing novels is quite a terrifying thing for me because you have to do things like plan and plot <laughs> and all of those quite difficult difficult things but writing a diary was different because it was it was like these it was similar to how i've been operating on twitter it was sort of a, you know in effect a series of kind of daily daily entries daily posts some of which had kind of poems on and that seemed to make the whole prospect of writing a novel a whole lot easier <laughs> let's go back was poetry important to you when you were young it, it was um, but i mean it wasn't sort of particularly kind of central i mean i did uh, i studied english lit for a level and then i encountered or whilst doing that i encountered the, the poetry of philip larkin who was probably the first poet that i ended up um kind of really taking to and i think i think it's partly because um the topics that he was writing about uh, seemed kind of relevant to me even as a even as a teenager. It was quite sort of quite bleak and miserable as teenagers <laughs> often can be. And also, what's more, he was able to include swear words in his poems, which was which was very exciting. Yeah. Again, for, for somebody that's, you know in, in the classroom encountering a swear word. <laughs> and so um, it was probably from Larkin that I started getting interested in poetry. And I, and I discovered all these other poets who who actually were more 
uh, obviously comic in some way. So I, I, I started reading people like John Hegley and Roger McGough and Stevie Smith. And uh, it's, you know, it, for the first time, really, I kind of understood the power of poetry to... Uh, to make people laugh, I think. Because certainly when I was young, my experience of poetry at school was you had to write a poem about autumn and it was either falling leaves or fireworks. <laughs> yes, I still do that now. I've not got, I've not got out of that. Uh, <laughs> yes, I still, also, I still also write poems sometimes in the shape, in, in, in the shape of a tree, for instance, as if I was... Still like eight years old. <laughs> oh, no, that's better than anything we were sort of forthright. But it seems that school either puts people off poetry or creates a love of poetry. And it seems to be what what sort of poets you encounter as you're studying English at school. It sounds for you that it lit a fire for you. Yeah, that's that's right. But, 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 I, mean, I do kind of remember you know, having many years of doing English before and really struggling with poetry and I found it kind of difficult and uh, often... You have to read poets who were writing two or three hundred years ago, and it's not—it's not that I, you know, many of those poets and poems are absolutely brilliant. But when it's—it's it's kind of difficult when you're thirteen, fourteen to really make sense of something written in quite archaic language. Uh, you know, the emotions are still the emotions that we kind of you know, have today and kind of feel ourselves. But it's the language that often gets wrapped up in, and so. Yeah, I think a lot of people get put off by poetry and it's always one of the most gratifying things that I sometimes get on social media is when people say, oh, I really struggle with poetry at school. I, you know, and it, it, School put me off being interested in poetry, but I've read, you know, I've been reading your poems and it's caused me to reconsider. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So do you get asked to go into schools as well, or have you managed to avoid that? Uh, I do get asked to go into schools. I have avoided it so far. Um, <laughs> I once, uh, The closest I've got to, um, to, to doing poetry for children, I do have a book of children's poems, School 50 Ways to Score a Goal, it's a book of football poems for kids. And uh, I was once asked to do an event at a poetry festival, like a Sunday morning event, build as a family, a family event. So I thought I'll read all my football poems there. And uh, I built a whole act around it. And then I, I got onto the stage and looked out into the audience. And the, I think the average age of the audience was about 72. <laughs> and and I, was, I was planning all sorts of audience participation. I had a football <laughs> to do keep the uppies with whilst I read a poem. But, you know, but bless them, they were, they were all up for it. They, <laughs> they had a great time. <laughs> Their keepy uppies were better than ever. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, let's talk about Days Like These, which is out now, a poem for every day of the year and an explanation as well. Tell us how this book came about. Oh, well, I think it has its origins probably in those early days of Twitter where I was often writing a poem for every day and I was using a kind of prop, using various prompts on Twitter. Sometimes it might be uh, an interesting you know, tweet that I'd, I'd kind of read. Sometimes I'd look and see what was trending and you see things like, you know, Penguin Awareness Day is trending. So I thought, well, I'll write a poem about penguins and so mm-hmm. forth. And um, I, I find it quite helpful to have prompts sometimes in terms of things I'm writing about. And so anyway, I just kind of thought I'd, I sort of have a go and try and do it uh, for a whole year. And um, it's, be, you know, it, it took me, you know, I wasn't actually writing at the pace of a poem a day. I was probably it's probably took me two and a half years or so to to write this. You know, three hundred and sixty six poems is a lot of poems by anyone's standards. And mm. I ended up having this kind of huge Excel spreadsheet of days of the year and all the um, all the possible topics I could write about for those days. So you know, things that happened in history, the birth and death of kind of notable people, and, and those kind of celebration days. And I'd I kind of you know, worked my way through the list and there were some days where there were lots of things I could write about and other days where it was really kind of, a str- you know, the, it almost seemed as if nothing of note had ever happened on that day. <laughs> and sometimes I have to be quite creative to come up with my poem. <laughs> I, have you got a poem you could read for us? It would be wonderful. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, this, um, on the subject of James Bond... <laughs> Uh, here's the poem for the 28th of May, which was the day in 1908 when Ian Fleming was born. Um, my poem for this day is called Bond Off Duty. <laughs> it's rare for the movies to show him wielding a hoover or unloading a dishwasher, presumably not making for good box office, or maybe they just don't have the budget. It could be that he employs a cleaner, although that runs the risk of somebody snooping through his drawers. M would never sanction such a potential security breach. The cutting room floor must be littered with footage of him ringing around to get a new quote on his home insurance, filling in his expense forms. The itinerary of an international secret agency's complex, he'll be drowning in receipts. 
And what about the days he needs to catch up with his laundry, take his wetsuit to the dry cleaners? And it gets me thinking about the running time of my own life, recast as a movie, with all the dull bits edited out. Moments like this, as I set off in pursuit of the lorry, three bin bags in hand, sprinting through the wet streets, wheezing already and a pain in my side, telling myself, this is really no time to die. <gasps> that, is, that is just wonderful. There we go. I'm still writing about bin collections even now. <laughs> I love that. Do you ever come across people talking about your poems or reading them and you just you just stand there thinking, oh, those are those are my poems? Uh, occasionally, I, I, um, the, probably my my first poem to go properly viral was a poem called Refugees, and um, it gets used quite a lot in in schools, and um, so I quite often. Uh, get teachers who I know in real life who kind of say, oh, I've been using your poem in my classroom. And so that's, you know, that's amazing. It's an amazing feeling to you know, when people kind of share that with you. Are you aware of all the times your poems are sort of performed? I mean, I've been at the Hay Festival and your poem has been performed by some really uh, sort of high-ranking actors. <laughs> are you aware of all of this? I'm aware of, I'm aware of some of it and... Um, Yes, but quite often people people get in touch with me to, to say, oh, you know, to, to tell me these things. Uh, like I had some had somebody the other the other day to say, oh, uh, Julia Roberts shared one of your poems on Instagram the other day, which is just to me it's just completely bizarre that and that some sort of you know a list Hollywood superstar would be re- <laughs> would be reading one of my poems. It just seems such a disconnect from you know the hunt. You know, I, I kind of I kind of read that and then I. And I empty the dishwasher, and you know it's just sort of it, it, it kind of keeps me grounded, at least I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's powering the writing of these poems? What is your biscuit of choice? Oh, biscuit choice. Well, uh, it's probably the custard cream, I would say. Yeah, oh. and again, my uh, diary of a somebody uh, novel. Uh, custard creams feature quite heavily. Um, you know they're. they're <laughs> They're, they're very, you know they're very much a kind of biscuity muse for the main character, but I you know I'm very happy to 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 eat any biscuits while writing poems. Oh, okay. Does it help the poem writing, or does it hinder it? It doesn't necessarily help the poem writing. It helps me. Yeah, <laughs> and nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, you've got so many brilliant poems. The, the other ones I love, there's one you've got in this book, I won't read it, but the 19th of September, it's called Line Up about Glastonbury. Oh, yes. I love that one. I mean, I love all of them. And another one, the 1st of December, this is just to say about advent calendars. I <laughs> they just make me laugh. And that that's what we want. I thoroughly recommend this book. Have you got another one that you could read for us? Yeah, okay. Um, why don't I read this one? This is from the 19th of June. And that's the day, it's another one connected with a writer, actually. That's the day in 1937 when J.M. Barry, the creator of Peter Pan, uh, died. And uh, Peter Pan, of course, you know, famously uh, was the boy who wouldn't grow up. And this is a poem that's called Thou Shalt Not Commit Adulting. Spare me, please, from growing up, from tax returns and self-help books, 
From laundry piles and lawns to mow, from how to choose the right Merlot. Save me please from adulthood, from not doing things I want but should, from dieting and aching joints, from question time and PowerPoint. Deliver me from refuse sacks, from dinner sets and overdrafts, from bus stop chats about the weather, from B&Q and knowing better. Pardon me from pension plans, from mingling and shaking hands, from duty sense and all that stuff. Spare me, please, from growing up. I just want to go back and read the book again. That, and to hear you read them, I mean, I, I haven't even looked. Is there an audiobook version of this? Not yet. I think there is one planned. And it's, um, it's a slightly terrifying thought that if I get involved in actually reading my own poems, because I, I, preparing for events, I was kind of going through to see which poems I could read. And I started with January. And then after a while, I realised that I wasn't just always writing in my own voice. You know, some of them are kind of written in a in, in a sort of a, a American voice. I've got a, a poem about Agatha Christie, which I kind of really need to assume the the voice of Hercule Poirot to do it justice. <laughs> I've got, um, you know, I've got a kind of all, yeah all, all sorts of. I've got I've got the name of the the really long railway station in Wales hidden in one of my poems too. So. The thought of being able to pronounce that in an audio book, it just fills me with horror. So I think one will be coming, but I'm gonna to need to I'm gonna to need to work on it first. <laughs> and when you do events, I mean there is I have not seen any photo of you online at all. Is do you say at the beginning, is it like um the mousetrap where you say, please don't tell anyone what happens? And do people have to sign a contract when they come to an event? <laughs> well, um we don't tend we don't tend to say that at events, but Actually, what I've found is that people are, people are brilliant and, and they generally just kind of, they prefer Brian to be slightly mysterious. And, you know, I don't, I don't do the events, you know, hidden behind a curtain or with a giant Frank Sidebottom-style papier-mâché <laughs> head. Um, but sometimes at the book signing afterwards, I get asked for photographs and that's fine. Uh, but they, they tend to kind of share them with with their nan or something like that, rather than put them on social media. So fair play to them. I remember doing a Richard and Judy, one of the sort of live things, and um, sitting next to me was this woman with no light on because, yeah, she didn't want her face to be seen on TV. And I was wondering if if that was your approach. <laughs> <laughs> but But no. So do you have a notepad full of ideas that you will use or do you literally just wait for inspiration to strike um yeah i i do yes i, I do have a notepad sometimes it's 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 often full of just words or phrases or and sometimes sometimes topics um and actually i i, I shared a poem yesterday on social media which um is probably quite a good example of how i work sometimes which was called a it was something like an index to poems i would never write of, of first lines I've got this whole collection of first lines of poems that I just can't get any further with. So I decide to make a poem out of all of these first lines that will never go anywhere. And um, yeah, I've got, Brilliant. yeah, I always have lots of ideas. Some of them I, I feel like will never, will never materialise. Some, some poems I've got, I've been working on for years now. I'm just interested with social media. Obviously it's, it served you well. It served us well because we've been able to access your poem, and it's and it's been a, an incredible way to do that. But is it a is it a pressure, a pain, a pleasure? All of the above, really. Um, it is a it is a pressure now. I mean, far more a pressure than it used to be. It was it was all very well when I had 
50 followers, but now I have substantially more. It does, I mean, for a start, I have to, I have to, you know, think long and hard before sending out a poem because I know that it's going to be read. <laughs> and um, uh, particularly if there's going to be, going to be sort of typos or sort of oh, errors yeah. in it. I have to go to prove, you know, because people on Twitter in particular, they'll see if I'm upon anything. And so there's, you know, there is that aspect. Um, but it is also, it is still a pleasure. Um, and often I write poems and then people will respond in verse form to me with their own poems, almost instantly, in fact. Which again, which can, again can be a pleasure, can also be a pain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is it's sweet though, because you do kind of think, well, that's that's great that you know that I've done something that's then helped. Well, not, not helped, but that has then provoked somebody else to try and be you know creative and express themselves in some way. So, do you feel obliged to respond when someone sends you a poem? I yeah, I do. I you know I do, and um, and also just when people. When people talk to me on social media, I do, I do try and I do try and respond to as many people as I possibly can. I mean, it's become increasingly difficult, and um, and so that's another reason now I sharp intake of breath before sharing a poem because I know that you know it's going to be some. I'm going to be immersed on my phone for several hours to to you know to chat with people, which is which is a you know which is a joy but then i also need to be doing some other work yes i long for the edit button on twitter I really <laughs> <do>. <laughs> yes please so what's next what what can we look forward to next uh i don't have a, a new collection very far advanced i'm um you know just kind of writing individual poems that may or may not knit into a book at some stage i'm also thinking of doing more on the children's poetry front because I often feel that I have, I still, I still basically have the kind of mind of a, of a ten-year-old boy. <laughs> so, so generally, the the, and actually sometimes I kind of write poems I think are intended for for grown-ups, and then somebody says, "Oh, my seven-year-old really loves that poem that you've written." And um, so I feel like that's 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 a good touch because it's also I really enjoy that when I wrote the football poem book, I had such a I had such fun writing that. We are almost at Christmas. By the time this this episode goes out, we're in December. It's the run up. Can I be really cheeky and ask you to read me the Advent calendar poem, the first of December? Not not at all. So this, yeah, one of the one of the things I like to do sometimes is to uh, parody some other poets and poems. And this is a, a parody of the famous William Carlos Williams poem this is just to say which is the one about the uh which is the one about um the plums in the fridge um but here we go just a more festive feel this is just to say this is just to say i have eaten the chocolates that were in your calendar and which you are probably saving for each day of advent forgive me they were delicious so bittersweet and so christmasy <laughs> thank you so much that was that was wonderful well brian bilton it's it's just been a joy to talk to you to talk about your book days like these and i just can't wait to hear more people getting this book and the joy just spreading and following you and accessing your poems and just getting that love back for poetry brian thank you so much thank you philippa 
Well, I am immediately going out to acquire more Brian Bilston books because I want every book he has ever written because I just thought, wonderful, wonderful to talk to him. I hope you enjoyed it, as uh, listening to it as much as I enjoyed talking to Brian. And that's it for today. So I need to recap what books we've talked about and also mention the lovely uh, review on Apple Podcasts. So today we have talked about Days Like These by Brian Bilston and Brian very kindly came on the podcast. I've also reviewed The Satsuma Complex by Bob Mortimer, the audiobook version. Then I've talked about Maureen Fry and the Angel of the North by Rachel Joyce, Rock, Paper, Scissors by Alice Feeney and Affinity by Sarah Waters. Finally, I must end with this podcast review and I must thank Florentine Gold. I just love that name. Florentine Gold for your review. Wonderful, informative, must listen. It's a long review, but bear with me because it really... Philippa is an engaging host with a charming, warm personality, and that is not the least of the many good reasons to listen to QuickBook Reviews. It can be so hard to pick out a novel and so disappointing to buy one and find it's not for you or a dud. Philippa's skill is to give you enough of the flavour and colour of the books to know if you'll like them, but never to give away a spoiler. Philippa gets great authors on and manages to get very interesting interviews in the writing process. Always balanced, always respectful, quick to point out if a book is just not her taste rather than not very good. This is a great podcast for all readers. Oh my goodness, I skipped a skip when I read that. Thank you so much. It does really help all those reviews. So thank you all for your very kind reviews. That is it. Next week, what have we got? Oh, next week we've got Alexandra Benedict coming on to talk to us about her Christmas book. Really excited about that. It's on a train. Um, there's there's a murder. There's a whodunit. Great. Um, we're also continuing the chat about indie publishers. More on that. If I get organised, there'll be my top 10 books of the year and and then we're going to be going on a Christmas break for two weeks so listen while you can and there's so much next year don't worry there's loads next year just a quick two-week break and then I'll be back but that's enough for today look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon take care now bye-bye you've been listening to the quick book reviews podcast that's enough books said no one ever See you again soon. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. WarbyParker.com slash covered. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.